Hi, it's Dr. Risa E. Lewis dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adara Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book coming in 2024 by HarperCollins. Pre-order now, Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact, wherever you buy your books. Through his whole health journey, I have felt rather invisible because he's the patient. And because he is the patient, he rightly so gets a lot of attention. And we absolutely should pay attention to patients. And, you know, they are the the acute priority. It's just that it tends to stop there when it should continue on. If you're in the room with someone receiving healthcare, you probably are very intimately connected to that person in some way where your lives are very intertwined. Otherwise, why would you be there? There was only one ICU nurse through the whole thing, both cancers and cardiac arrest. Only one person from the healthcare system ever asked me how I was doing. And when he did, it was so shocking that it, it like kind of took me, you know, a second to reply. I kind of was taken aback. So, yeah, honestly, the healthcare system is the thing that, that of everything in my life has made me feel the most silenced, which I think is why I'm now so vocal about it. This is the Visible Voices podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Risa Lewis. In today's episode, I speak with the Glockenfleckens. Now, I know you're saying to yourself, self, How did Risa secure such coveted guests? Well, it was hard. It took months. It took my people talking to their people. And eventually the people met, we talked, and the rest is history. So I'm so glad to bring you my conversation with Will and Kristen Flannery. Let me tell you a little bit about each of these two. And if you haven't checked out their podcast, Knock Knock High, or their platform, which includes YouTube, TikToks, and now some upcoming live shows, you should. Will and Kristen promote humanity and a healthy sense of humor in healthcare. Do you hear those H's? Humanity, healthy, humor, healthcare. As means of background, Will Flannery is an ophthalmologist and part-time comedian. He moonlights in his free time as Dr. Glockenflecken, a social media personality who creates medically-themed comedy shorts for an audience of over 4 million across many social media channels. Kristen Flannery, holds a bachelor's degree from Texas Tech and a master's degree from Dartmouth College. Go green. It's not easy being green. Known internationally as Lady Glockenflecken on social media, she offers a very unique perspective on healthcare. She, as I say, speaks medical ease. She's experienced being a patient, a caregiver, and a co-survivor of her husband's two cancer occurrences and sudden cardiac arrest. So when we get to the conversation audience, We're going to do a deep dive into their experiences together as a couple medically about coming out of traumatic experiences and healing and about how to be a guest on a podcast. I'm a big fan of alliteration. And on your website, when you talk about your work and your platform, it says that you seek to promote humanity and a healthy sense of humor in healthcare. A lot of oh. H's right there. Humanity, mm-hmm. healthy, human healthcare. Will's like, where is she going that? with this? I yeah. did. <laughs> where, did that, where did that alliteration come from? It's good. But I think for listeners that aren't familiar with you two yet, podcast, platform, YouTube, et cetera, it's a really good summary of your mission for your work. Promote humanity and a healthy sense of humor in healthcare. I want to kind of get into the medical diagnoses and what I'm going to say, the trauma. So that's a little bit of a warning. And 
I'm going to read from your website again and to give listeners a little bit of background on the two of you. And my question that I'd like you two to keep in mind is, how is it when you hear this over and over and over again? Does it hit you differently each time? By age 35, Will had suffered two cancer occurrences and a sudden cardiac arrest. Kristen took on the unexpected roles of caregiver and, quote, co-survivor of these traumatic experiences. In May 2020, Kristen woke up in the middle of the night to Will dying in their bed while their eight and five-year-old children were asleep in the next room. She called 911 and performed 10 minutes of CPR before help arrived. As a coping mechanism, she turned her story into advocacy for survivors and co-survivors of medical trauma and critical illness. For her efforts, this is amazing, Kristen received an EMS cardiac arrest Save Challenge coin, 2020, the Citizen CPR Foundation's 40 Under 40 Award in 2021, and the American Heart Association's Resuscitation Champion Award 2022. So, I mean, who knew that we were with such an award winner? Right? (laughs) No kidding. All right, so Kristen, you take it first, then Will. How does it feel to hear this paragraph again and again and again, and to revisit this in your episodes when you meet another podcaster? Yeah, you know, it's kind of desensitized to it. Like, obviously, we know the, the story, but hearing it in that way, it's a little more sanitized, right? Like it's it's just the facts as they happened, right? right. But um, so it's it feels different to me than you know revisiting the actual memories. So it's kind of you know in a different category in my mind and my emotions, right? Like this is my advocacy piece, and that is very therapeutic, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to talk about all of this. And um, I think language is also very important in processing and healing, and so writing about it, speaking about it, having guests on the podcast and chatting about it. All of that is just like my therapy kind of. It helps me, you know, process, but also feel like, you know, we didn't just leave these bad things that happened in our lives as horrible memories and then move on, right? Like we took control of them in a way, right? And turned them into good things, for the world. And that makes it something that's easier to swallow and, and easier to live with. That's not to say it erases any of the the trauma or the memories or anything like that, but it turns it from something that's out of your control into something that you you feel like you're taking some control back and almost like sticking it to it, right? By like making things better yeah, than what happened that to you. Trauma. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Will? Uh, you know I agree. A little bit desensitized. We've talked about it so many times. Mm-hmm, and yeah. and when it really hits me is when when we talk about it in front of a live audience. Because I'm always surprised. Like maybe it's like my social media ego speaking. Like I just assume everyone knows about my story. Like yeah. sure, I'll be I'm I'm everywhere on social media. Of course, the whole world knows about this already. <laughs> But then we go and speak to medical groups and sometimes non-medical groups as well. And the looks on people's faces when they hear about the cardiac arrest, the tears, the standing ovations that really Kristen gets. Award-winning. Exactly. <laughs> it, that, it's a reminder to me like, okay, this isn't normal. This isn't like a, just a, a thing that happened on a random Thursday. Like this is an extremely meaningful thing because it's easy to lose sight of that the more you talk about it, right? It, it kind of starts to feel just like, oh, a thing that happened a few years back. But um, it's a profound event in our lives. And 
seeing other people's reaction to it mm-hmm. reminds me of that. Yeah. I really have enjoyed on my podcast episodes when I have guests, they're usually doctors, not always, when we talk about this concept of cumulative trauma over time. And sometimes it's by working in the emergency department, sometimes it's being a trauma surgeon, being exposed to gun violence. Uh, Sometimes it's events at home or diagnoses such as what you two have experienced. And one of the most poignant, I wanted to use that word right there, poignant conversations I had was with author Minda Hartz. And she talked about trauma in the workplace. And she was a C-suite type. So it wasn't in the hospital. And in her book, she really laid out ways to heal and ways to address the trauma. And we've talked about a few so far, humor, talking about it, writing about it. I'm wondering if each of you could come up with one other hmm, behavior activity that you've done that has really helped you? Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, we touched on it a bit ago, but the, the one that comes to my mind immediately is, is the advocacy, you know, turning it into change in the world. I think that really, for me in particular, I don't know that, I mean, everybody's different. I don't know if that would really resonate with you, Will, but mm. for me, that's been very helpful. I'd say probably most of the advocacy work I've done is surrounding the cancer and like young adults with cancer. Yeah, I've done a lot in that way, raising money for, you know, organizations and things. And that does help me. But also like, I don't know, I'm just in my own head a lot. So I have trouble finding other outlets to kind of process. So for me, like the comedy is is like 99% of how I cope. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and also Kristen, there's a lot that like people don't see. Obviously, I wouldn't be alive without her, but I'd also just be in rougher shape emotionally and mentally because she's always there to put things in perspective for me to tell me when I'm acting a certain way and she knows whenever I'm I'm struggling with something right because we know each other so well and so she kind of calls me out on that stuff when I'm maybe a little bit too inside my own head and need to get out of that cycle and so um yeah I think my thing would be you Kristen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's and that was not nice. even planted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is part of why I really enjoy our conversations. And I'll make it sound like we actually meet on a regular basis at the coffee shop to have conversations. <laughs> but no, I've said to you, like, you know, will you speak legal? Uh, not legal. Well, actually, you do speak legal. You speak insurance and legal now, but you speak medical. <laughs> and Kristen speaks quite fluent medical. And so you're actually a really good duo. This thing works. And to that end, let's kind of come out of the deep and come a little lighter. Your platform, the TikToks, the jokes, the podcasts, the speaking engagement. Do you have an ultimate goal of where you'd like to go with this? Not at all. <laughs> we're, we're winging it. <laughs> it really has been, though. I mean, because I've got this this other medical career, right? And that's been the focus yeah, for so yeah. long. And so the social media thing started as just a hobby. Right. And in a lot of ways, I still think of it as a hobby but it's less so now, especially over the past year, year and a half when we have like, now we have like a legit business and we've got all these projects and and an employee and a production team. And so we've kind of been forced to, I mean, she's, Kristen's always so futuristic thinking. I am very much not futuristic thing. I'm like, what's right in front of my face. (laughs) But now I've, I've had to like change the way I think a little bit and start 
thinking more forward. And so there are, you know, some projects that we want to eventually do, you know, we've got these live shows and stuff and we've got some grand plans, but in terms of in 15 years, I want to be this and doing this. And I I don't think I, I don't have that. Do you have that in your head? Not in that way, but I do have, you know, some goals for what I hope all of this silliness eventually accomplishes, (laughs) right? Like, I have a side of it, you know, it's it's kind of like a darkness and a lightness to our entire story and certainly our brand. And, um, you know, Will gets the privilege of being the lightness most of the time. And then I explore more of the darkness in my mm-hmm. work. And then sometimes we come together and, and we both are doing a little bit of comedy. But my kind of overarching goal for the whole thing that I do, my part of it at least, is I want people to be aware of the fact that all of these things that happen to patients of critical illness and and in medical trauma, right? Like those happen to the people around them as well, like their Mm -hmm. family members. So it's this concept of Mm -hmm. co-survivorship that I, this is really the thing that the engine, you know, that keeps driving me to do this work is to bring more awareness to that issue and not just awareness, but policies and procedures and actual change to make life better for them, including doctors. Doctors are kind of co-survivors, right? The vicarious trauma that you all witness. I mean, it's a, a little bit of a different meaning than what I usually mean when I say that, but it includes, you know, healthcare workers and patients and their families and just trying mm-hmm. to make it, as we say, more human for everyone. And I would really like to explore the origins of the cardiology nephrology conflict. <laughs> <laughs> like we both have different goals and yeah. different things. It's like maybe some goals are better than others and more yeah. meaningful, but uh, they're still goals nonetheless. Yeah. Is that kind of like the cornea specialist and the retinal specialist? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Front of the eye, back of the eye. This big conflict there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's all about the canal <laughs> and capulets. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Dr. Risa E. Lewis, dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adair Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book being published in April of 2024 by HarperCollins. We believe every future goal, complicated task, and healthy habit can be broken down into simple, measurable, and tiny skills that you can practice and then excel by removing obstacles, overcoming assumptions, and maximizing your potential at work and in life. You can pre-order it now. Go to bookshop.org, amazon.com, or wherever you buy your books. So moving laterally alongside what you just shared, Kristen, we spoke when I joined your episode, and I really appreciate that you were willing to have me come on. We talked, we did a bit of a deep dive in ultrasound and human-centered design, having mm-hmm. the patient, the caretaker, the doctor, whoever, uh, whoever's going to be the end user at the table talking. And I think the two of you are best suited to be healthcare designers. And so I'd like each of you to take something that you would love to fix, build, change, create, devise, invent, to make patient care, patient workflows, caretaker, trauma, anything better. Now, there's a no repeat rule here. So Kristen, we've talked about, (laughs) I love yours, the night of the cardiac arrest Uh, You didn't know what was happening as they were resuscitating Will. And they told you to wait in radiology where your mobile phone did not work. So that healthcare design challenge, question, obstacle, we can't repeat that one. So can you come up with something, healthcare design, a project that if you had to work on something, this is what you would like to fix, design, brainstorm, iterate on? 
the first one that came to my mind is in the world of ophthalmology. And I would love for there to be a fundoscopic camera in every single emergency department mm. in the world. That that would be amazing. Everybody just knows how to use it and it's easy and it's it's functional and it's cheap. And selfishly, that would make my life easier. And maybe it'd yeah. make your life easier too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So when we think about human-centered design, we approach with curiosity and we ask questions. How might we, I'm curious if, so mm-hmm. how might we make that a reality? How can we make that happen? Money. <laughs> <laughs> it's always <laughs> a problem. I think, well, I, I think part of it's also ophthalmology as a, as a field, we're just way too insulated. We're like in our own world. And, and that, that's been just progressively over decades, we've just been removing ourselves from the rest of medicine to the point where like nobody outside of ophthalmology knows anything about the eyeball, nor do they really care so much. Like not that you're, you're not interested. It's just that you got so many other things to do. And then nobody tries teaching ophthalmology. Nobody, you know, so it's just outside of my own field. It's just, it's not a focus at all. And uh, that would have to change. All right, Kristen, what are you going to redesign? How are you going to make the world better? I would like to see our healthcare spaces be more patient and family centered. Mm. I think, um, I don't think other smarter people before me have said this, that, you know, healthcare is designed around disease and not people. And so I would really like to see it be designed around disease and people. (laughs) Was there any specific disease that came to mind? He's the one that thinks about disease. I think about the people. Um, Conjunctivitis. (laughs) Cataract. And you shared your experience with chronic illness and hypermobility. Mm -hmm. And are there ways or experiences where you're like, wow, that could have been so much better if, or I'm curious if we might. I have a lot of thoughts. Something like hypermobility, I think would benefit from more um, education and awareness about it for one thing, but also interconnectedness, right? Healthcare is so siloed. Um, and that's, I think, one of the major downsides of this model that we have where everyone specializes and subspecializes. And that has its benefits, but it also comes with, you know, this major con of it's really hard for doctors in one area to be able to communicate well with doctors in another area. I know we have EMRs and theoretically that should help, but it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't right. quite do the job. So, you know, I think sometimes something like hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, you need a pattern of things, right? You need to be able to see a more complex picture than just one subspecialty would be looking into. And it's not going well <laughs> right now for people with diseases like that, that are more complex, or even in his case, you know, he just has so many different things between the two cancers and the cardiac arrest. He's got all sorts of specialists, right? But they are not necessarily communicating with each other all that much. So that would be one thing. And then just the spaces themselves. And I know this probably seems like a luxury or a first world problem, but I do think it makes a big difference in just people's morale when they're Mm -hmm. dealing with something so difficult, you know, whatever has brought them to the hospital, if there are comfortable sensory experiences around them, right? Nice, soft, supportive chairs, uh, maybe some 
blank. I don't know. I'd have to think about like specific things in the hospital. But like, I remember when I went in for his cardiac arrest, it was the most bizarre thing because obviously his health and what just happened is the main concern. But the experience of that trauma and being in shock like that, it also had this really major sensory component, you know, so something Mm -hmm. like a weighted blanket or a heated blanket Mm -hmm. or something like that. There you go. I know that sounds odd, but that really would have helped because you just feel like a raw nerve, you know, and I, anything you can have. And I think if you look in palliative care, you'll find, you know, some people talking about this more and some evidence for it, but it's, it's a very sensory experience and things that can ground you, this feeling of being grounded back down to the earth, Mm -hmm. I think really helps and is soothing. And then if you're able to be at least a little bit soothed, then maybe you can think better, communicate better, do make the decisions better that you're needing to make in those moments. You know, things like that of just making the sensory experience of being in the hospital more human centered. We have blanket yeah. warmers everywhere in hospitals. I love like blanket warmers. That's where They're the, the interns live. It's the <laughs> best. Yeah. yeah. Just get yourself a warm blanket. We could swaddle you. I would love, I would have loved to be swaddled, <laughs> swaddled. in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> There's no reason you can't swaddle an adult. <laughs> Quick story. One of my friends is an ICU doc and she had an older patient that was just really, really uncomfortable, not sleeping, maybe moaning and screaming on a regular basis. And they just could not calm this patient. And ultimately, my friend gave the patient placed in the ears earplugs. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the patient calmed. (laughs) The patient fell right to sleep and slept a whole night and improved the next morning. So simple wow, things about a little yeah. bit of sensory deprivation and right. and creating calm and de-stressing. Yeah, I think understanding our nervous systems a little better and applying that knowledge to what's the experience in the hospital like would, would really benefit yeah. patients and families, yeah. I'm going to move us to more fun stuff because I know you, you know, Again, this is all fun. You're like, wow, this time. Risa, like Risa, whoa. Like, <laughs> you know, we're serious over here. Very, everything's very serious. So I want to know, listeners want to know, you've now had plenty of guests on the show and you don't have to name names or if you want to, you are welcome to name names. What are some of the characteristics of the best podcast guests? <laughs> and what are some of the most challenging characteristics of guests when you're like, oh my gosh, that was the longest, most tiresome oh. <laughs> episode we recorded. Um, I think that energy is always good in any kind of media. And this is this is something that like I struggle with sometimes too. Like I can sometimes I'm recording, I feel myself because I'm not a naturally like super bubbly, like excitable person. No. Right. Very, you, he's he's much like edgier and <laughs> cynical and so yeah, quiet. my my natural like tendency is to be kind of like gruff and I don't know, low key <laughs> and not say much like and, you, you right. have to say a lot Talk, of words so in sometimes a podcast. talking is hard so so <laughs> so it's it's I, I've had to try to like teach myself or like focus on like keeping my energy up because that's important because again you know it's gonna nobody wants to listen to like a NPR you know, for like well, an entertainment podcast. I take issue podcast. with that. I enjoy NPR. Well, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like that, that kind of like soft. Monotone, it's not what we monotone. are going for on right. our it's podcast. It's not what we're going yeah. for. And so for our guests, you know, obviously it helps to have more energy. So I think uh-huh. that's, if you're going on a podcast and you're not sure if what you have to say is interesting, if you're excited about it, 
that's like 90% of it, honestly, because then other people are going to be excited listening to you be excited about the thing. I think that's, that's so key because honestly, what I've learned in doing all the social media stuff is people love hearing people talk about things they're experts in. Mm -hmm. It is, it could be the most boring thing in the world, but if you are an expert in that thing and you have excitement and people sense that excitement, they're going to listen to what you have to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the challenging ones are, we've had really great guests, so it's not easy to find a memory of one, but you know, if there are some, if there are technical issues or the person is not as familiar with how to, how to troubleshoot when something (laughs) happens, that can definitely be a bit of a challenge. Um, And then, yeah, kind of on the flip side of, of if they're not excited or if they just aren't, very talkative about, you know, like trying to pull them out. (laughs) If it's kind of one word answers, you know, that, that makes for a difficult experience on a podcast. And that's, and that's part of what our job is as hosts, right? Mm -hmm. Like we got to try to create an environment where people feel comfortable, you know, showing who they are and, and showing the fun side of their personality because we all have one. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, it's, it's not just all on the guest, you know, it's also on us. I mean, that part probably mostly on us, you know, if you're, if you're a good interviewer, then, you know, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be a challenge, but but it's part of your job. For the people that have been on our podcast, none of you are duds. No. All right. Well, maybe one or two of you, (laughs) Oh, (laughs) but but just, but mostly not duds. Mostly. (laughs) And do you prefer to be a guest or you prefer to be the host? It's more stressful question. to be the host, I think. Yeah, more work. Um, well, more work. But I mean, it's still fun, but it is more work to you know prepare for an interview. I feel like coming on something like this as a guest, like I can just, I don't know, uh, there's low, no stress. I can just talk about whatever the hell I want. <laughs> yeah. With your guidance, of course. Of course. Yeah, I'm creating a safe vessel, <laughs> psychological safety. We talked about that before too. That's right. You know, the podcast is called The Visible Voices. And I think I've perhaps shared this with you. People that have not had the experience of being made invisible or marginalized in some way will say, Risa, you can't see a voice. Why are you saying visible voices? You don't see a voice. I'm like, I'm very well aware that we don't see voices. <laughs> However, you know, walk with me along Most this journey. Together, we're going to amplify voices and help people be seen and heard. Uh, you know, walk right. with me. It's like, a metaphor. Get it. And so my um, common question for my guests, and now's the time. Kristen, you can take it first, then Will. When did you realize you had a voice? And when did you start using that voice? Well, I think my parents would say immediately, (laughs) just from birth. (laughs) You know, honestly, I have never considered that I didn't. Like, it's never occurred to me not to use my voice. I don't know. That's just part of how I'm wired, I think. Um, You know, I can't take any credit for it or anything, but I have strong opinions And I certainly don't share all of them, but when I have one that I feel like is worth sharing, I have a lot of conviction about that. And, you know, I'm not afraid to, to get it out there. I don't know. I've, I've been a performer. I've just, it's just kind of who I am. I'm not shy about being the center of attention as long as I feel like I kind of know what I'm talking about in that arena, but I don't know. I wish I had a better answer of like how, how people can discover their voice. I'm going to push a little further on that and ask you, like, is there a time you recall that maybe you, your voice got quieted either by a person or by a situation? Like maybe when you were in grad school and trying to figure out your graduate work or... 
Yeah, that's a whole can of worms. Grad school. Um, Man, she really has listened to our podcast. (laughs) She's pulling this stuff out. She's never been met us or been to our home. Yeah. No, uh, grad school, you know, my particular experience in grad school, the department that I was in at that time, it was a very toxic culture. And so, you know, you certainly had to be very careful Mm. about how you went about things and and things had to be very political and it was it was exhausting you know having to do that and you had to sacrifice some things if you weren't willing to play that particular game yeah that was tricky honestly the time i have felt the most silenced was in my experience at the hospital after his cardiac arrest i have definitely you know, through his whole health journey, I have felt rather invisible mm. uh, because he's the patient and he, because he is the patient, he rightly so gets a lot of attention and we absolutely should pay attention to patients. And, you know, they are the the acute priority in that situation. It's just that that tends to stop there when it should continue on to um, paying attention to the people who are, you know, if, the, if you're in the room with someone receiving healthcare like that, you probably are very intimately connected to that person in some way where your lives are very intertwined. Otherwise, why would you be there? Mm-hmm. And and so just to continue on to the people that are that are there with the patient as well. So, you know, it, in those cases where it was like people didn't necessarily look at me while mm-hmm. they were giving the information, you know, they would just look at him. You didn't ask me if I had any questions, things like that. Um, You know, I think we've talked before, or certainly on our podcast, we've talked before about there was only one ICU nurse through the whole thing, both cancers and cardiac arrest. Only one person from the healthcare system ever asked me how I was doing. Mm. And when he did, it was so shocking that it it like kind of took me, you know, a second to reply. I kind of was taken aback. So yeah, honestly, the healthcare system is the thing that, that yeah. of everything in my life has made me feel the most silenced, which I think is why I'm now so vocal about it. Um, it's kind of in, you know, response yeah. to that. Co-survivor and secondary trauma. All right, Will. Yeah. When did you realize you had a voice and when did you start using that voice? I think when I learned I had a voice was when I made some TikToks about a health insurance company you know, requiring prior authorizations for cataract surgery. And uh, it was this this big deal in the field of ophthalmology. And then I got a message about people in the C-suite at the health insurance company being angry Mm -hmm. and wanting my video removed from the internet, which is not how the internet works. Um, (laughs) That was like a whoa moment for me. Like, okay, people are really paying attention to what I have to say. And like, I can do some things here at the very least, just making health insurance companies angry is like, that's great. I love that. And that was recently, right? I mean, I, I had, you know, maybe a a million or so followers on social media and I still didn't really feel like I had an important voice. I feel like people, you know, relied on me to make them laugh at the end of a a hard day. But it, so, I mean, I guess that's a helpful voice, but in my mind, and maybe this is just the like imposter syndrome, medical, you know, trauma, doctor, the way of thinking, like diminishing ourselves a little bit, but I I didn't feel like I 
had an important voice really until people started paying attention to some of the health insurance advocacy stuff I was doing. Yeah. Well, Will and Kristen Flannery, you certainly have visible voices individually and together. For listeners who are wondering where they can find out more and listen to you and follow your upcoming shows and other activities, where can you send them? Got a nice website, glockenflecken.com. Spell it like it sounds. It's easy. Uh, (laughs) And uh, and we're on all the social media networks, so you can always find us wherever you like to to consume your social media, but uh, everything's on our website in a, you know, easily... You can find our podcast way. anywhere you listen yeah. to podcasts. Knock, knock, hi. With the Glockham Fleckens. Yep. The Risa Wrap-Up. Special thanks to Kristen and Will Flannery for joining me in conversation. Three take-home points for you, audience. Number one, laughter. First of all, if you need to re-watch Mary Poppins, you understand the song, I Love to Laugh, to which I'm referring, please do so. The science shows that laughter is good for us. It's good for well-being. It's good for your health. And it's good for healing. Next advocacy. There are many ways to wear, to do, to act advocacy. And what I really like about Kristen and Will is the way they've decided to do their advocacy through comedy, through talking, through speaking medical ease. And finally, visibility and invisibility. I really appreciate Kristen's story about what it's been like being a caretaker, being a co-survivor with Will's cancer, the occurrence, the reoccurrence, and his cardiac arrest. It's pretty remarkable that with all those experiences, she was only asked how she's doing once. That's all I have for you this week, audience. See you next time. The Visible Voices podcast amplifies voices both known and unknown, discussing topics of healthcare, equity, and current trends. We are a production of the People's Media Network. Our team includes Dr. Giuliano DePorto and me, Dr. Risa E. Lewis. Please find me on social media at Risa E. Lewis and through the website, thevisiblevoicespodcast.com. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us. Share the podcast with a friend today. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, to be continued. <laughs>